1: I mean, you're living in your mother's basement writing a blog on
2: finance. Really, you should stay off the computer, son, and get a job. Seriously.
1: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to a podcast that the Plutus Awards this year awarded most entertaining. Doug. That the Plutus Awards said was best overall. Uh, hey, Doug, and the podcast that the Plutus Awards said was also most informative. Doug, what? God, I'm introing here. It's I'm introing our award-winning podcast in an award-winning way. What do you want?
0: I think we wrote the script too soon because the Plutus Awards decided to give us none of those.
1: Oh, well, that's awkward. Uh, Well, welcome to a podcast. You know what? We're just doing this like we always do today to help you embrace change, adapt fast and future proof your career. We welcome the editor in chief of entrepreneur magazine, Jason Pfeiffer. In our headlines, now that Hurricane Ian has ripped through the East Coast, our attention turns to insurance. We'll share how to save some money. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Anonymous, but like the activist group? Oh, no, never mind. Who wants to know how to handle that great tech company stock that has now tanked. And then I'll share some techie trivia. And now, two guys who win the award of most likely to help you be successful... Yeah, right. Joe and
0: O-J-J-J-J-G! And a happy Wednesday to you! You made it! You're here! It is Wednesday in the basement, I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and Doug, um, well, you know, even though we're not award-winning, we certainly can try to bring it today on a Wednesday. How could that have happened? I mean, yeah, sure, like we do every day, but how, I don't, my head cannot wrap around how we
1: didn't get any of those awards because we are
0: all of those things. Some serious miscommunication. I tried to hand them 10 bucks and they didn't I take it say, on any. Did we account. not have the money in the account?
2: No, we just have to up our
0: game. Stop <laughs> sucking. Okay. Stop, Stop sucking. How about if we, we start win. off with, with what <laughs> Doug mentioned earlier? That's a that's a good note. Let me let me take that note. Wow! Stop Wait a minute. sucking. You waited ten years to tell us now that we should stop sucking. <laughs> there we are. Well, we can start today, OG, by having as Doug said, Jason Pfeiffer, Entrepreneur Magazine editor in chief. How about that, huh? That's a big big get. He's seen a thing or two. Yes, he's going to talk to us about embracing change. It always amazes me how the one thing we know in life that's going to happen, OG, is change. And yet it's the thing that on every list people fear most. I don't like change. I don't want it. It's the one thing you know is going to happen. Why wouldn't you learn to lean into it? Jason Pfeiffer is going to tell us how. I have so many deep thoughts about that. Should we do this now? uh, Let's do it after Jason. Who might have deeper thoughts than (laughs) you have? I don't know. OG had a deep thought just yesterday. We're on this long phone call. And all of a sudden, like right in the middle of the thought, listen to what he said. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget. Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig. And try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly Well, you'll see when you try out the thirty day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended thirty day free trial. It's amazing how this dude thinks in marketing messages. It's incredible.
1: Two things. One, I want congratulations for recognizing what you were really doing there and not not interrupting <laughs> like I did last not, time. Not like
0: right? on like on Monday. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That deserves congratulations. OG, congratulate and, for and me. And then secondly, if anybody's watching the, the video of this, which you all should be doing, did you happen to notice OG raising a mug to a competing newsletter as we're recording and working on our own show? It's not a 201 mug? No. What are you doing? Look, now he's like, what mug? Uh, there's no mug. <laughs> Look at his face.
0: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, now he's going to own it. So bad. I think it's time. I think it's time we pivot and get uh, to our headlines.
2: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines.
0: Well, again, as we mentioned on Monday, because the podcast and not the nightly news, we uh, record this a little bit early. But uh, late last week, as we are recording this, hundreds fear dead. Sheriff says 2.6 million people without power is Ian blast through Florida. Uh, Oh gee, we got updates all throughout yesterday as we were were recording this on Thursday and um, things don't look good for a lot of people. Hopefully uh,
2: people heeded a lot of the warnings. I know know there's a lot of uh, wolf crying that goes on as it relates to uh, hurricanes and uh, especially folks that have seen one or two of them before. So hopefully uh, people took it seriously and Now, you know, a day-ish later, at least on the southeast coast or or southwest coast, are starting to kind of emerge and see what's up.
0: You know, the headline for today that I'm going to bring up might seem ill-timed with all the mess going on, but I'm doing this for a reason. So before everybody screeches the tires and goes, Joe, this is, uh, yeah, yeah, you're uh, too soon. Uh, This is a headline from the Wall Street Journal written by our friend Veronica Dagger. Four ways to save money on insurance as rates rise. And this is specifically about car insurance, but people can also use it about homeowners. People want to go back to Monday and uh, hear our tips, by the way, for dealing with disaster. But today, OG, I want to bring up saving money on car insurance because often people look at insurances through the lens of how do I pay less? And I have a feeling over the next several weeks, there's going to be a bunch of people in Florida who wish they hadn't been so focused on how much they pay and instead were worried about what they get.
2: And I even think that that might be an approach that's a little off base too. I mean, I I think when you're talking about risk management, you want to think about the risk that you're trying to solve for, and then how do you want to solve for it? If we use car insurance, for example, and you say, okay, I have a car. It may or may not have a a loan attached to it, you know, that may or may not be worth more than what the car is worth, you know, because that happens. You buy a new car and all of a sudden the depreciation hits and, you know, replacing it is more costly than paying the loan off. So so you have to solve for what you know, what is it that I'm trying to to protect? If you're driving around in a 1987 Caprice Classic that's worth, you know, Fifteen hundred bucks or like Doug and El Camino. That's a sweet car though. That
1: Caprice classic.
2: I agree. Big
1: beast. That's some good old Detroit Steel.
2: But it's worth fifteen hundred bucks or five thousand bucks or some insignificant number. You you may choose to have insurance on that that is just covers you for your loss, right? You say, Oh, I just need the five grand it is to to offset the balance sheet, basically you've got a brand new car that has a loan on it that is you know that's worth more you're going to have to figure out how best to protect the for lack of a better term protect the investment protect the cash that you've expended you know and and when we look at things from a purely from a cost standpoint just say well i just want the cheapest thing you're not going to end up with the thing that necessarily is the best It doesn't mean that the thing that's the best is the most expensive either. You know, just approach it from what am I trying to prevent from happening? I'm trying to prevent from having to owe the bank 42 grand on my truck and have enough money to buy a new one that offsets the payments that I've made so far. Well,
0: then you get away from this discussion that insurance companies want you to have, which is how much insurance do I need versus how do I cover it? Much, much better to be more comprehensive all of these ways that Veronica talks about in this piece, which is which is a great piece, involve lowering the amount of insurance that you have, which means, OG, to your point, you need to be able to cover it in a different way. I do worry that people will read a piece like this and they'll go do all these things, but they haven't built the emergency fund. They haven't built this, this where's the coverage going to come from? Uh, first thing is reduce your coverage She talks about when a car is worth a lot less money, you don't need as much coverage. Same thing you're talking about with that Caprice Classic. Second, raise your deductible. Deductible, of course, is the amount that you're going to pay in the event that something happens. Third, shop around and demand discounts. A lot of times people uh, forget to ask about discounts and you definitely want to do that. In fact, on a recent uh, TikTok video I was watching, somebody working in an insurance agency talked about how the agent she worked for actively lied and said, no, you're getting all the discounts. She said, you may want to go talk to a different agent at the same company. And by the way, if you find out you're not getting all your discounts and the insurance agent looks you in the eye, you need to fire that person (laughs) because they're clearly not on, not on uh, your team. And then last is, and this one's more invasive, you know, for a lot of these plans now, OG, you can share your driving data. I signed up for a plan like this for a while with USAA before I found an even less expensive one, because as OG can attest or says, uh, I drive like grandma. So because of that, I'm able to able to score some discount. I'm so glad we got that on on record. I think, it, I it's the think it's, I've heard him admit it. Oh, I think it's so funny that I get pulled over for driving 100 miles an hour, and OG's like, you're a grandma. You should have gone 120. It just means you're bad at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was listening to a football game at the time, sadly, not not really paying attention. And I was getting into it, but that's not the point. The point here is, all of these things Veronica talks about mean spending less money. People now in Florida, especially OG, thinking about that emergency fund and having that in place, of course, after they think about making sure everybody's okay. Yep. Cash is king. Coming up next, Jason Pfeiffer is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, a magazine I read. I read a lot, especially this year. Every time I got on a plane, I grab Entrepreneur Magazine and uh, jump on. He's worked at many of New York's finest magazines, Men's Health, Fast Company, Maxim, finally finding his way to entrepreneur. He's a guy that has freelanced himself. He's owned businesses himself. And he's all about adapting to change. This is, of course, something entrepreneurs do very, very well that the average person struggles with. And today he's going to help you navigate change and embrace change. But before we get to that, Doug, I think you've got uh, today's trivia question for us. Sure do, Joe. Hey there, Stackers. I'm Joe's mom's
1: neighbor, Doug. And today is Jesse Eisenberg's birthday. You know, Eisenberg is. Best known as the pseudonym for Walter White throughout Breaking Bad. Oh, wait a minute, that was Heisenberg. Heisenberg's oh, known for something. Oh, Jesse Eisenberg is best known for his Academy Award nominated role as Mark Zuckerberg in the 2010 film The Social Network. I knew it was something. Most people know Mark, but he also has a sister, Randy, who's successful in her own right. She is an active angel investor, so my question is, what percentage of her portfolio is made up of female founders? Is it 5.3%, 15.3%, or 53%? I'll be back right after I pray to the angel of investing to help me fund this coin-operated joke machine I'm inventing.
0: Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. I want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military. Veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their military appreciation month offers and other Navy federal offers. Navy federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. And now, a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry, Betterment is here to help. Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. When you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better. The car buying experience is one place that's been a pain point, not just for me, But for a lot of Navy Federal members, and that's why they created a fully loaded car buying experience, you can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all from one convenient place. They have pre-approval that's good for 90 days. So as you're coming up with your strategy, which you definitely in this market want to have a strategy, you know what you can afford while you shop. They offer great auto loan rates and you can shop for new and used cars with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by Car, which is another way you may be able to save thousands of dollars off the cost of that car. You can also get exclusive member savings with Carfax. Carfax, of course, will tell you where that used car's been so you don't step into a horrible transaction. Sirius XM, longtime listeners of this show know how much I love my old-time radio when I go on the road and I'm between podcasts, and there's so much more. They're always available With 24-7 member service representatives to answer any questions. They understand exactly what you're going through. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash car buying. That's NavyFederal.org slash car buying. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Navy Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Hey there, stackers, I'm cherub investor and
1: metaverse denier, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Can you imagine sitting around the dining room table at Thanksgiving as Mark Zuckerberg's sibling? Your brother invented a universe. Your brother shifted global politics. How's your work, dear? No, thank you. I'll take my brother, the roadkill taxidermist, any day. But Randy Zuckerberg is one of the largest NFT collectors of women-led projects, the author of two books, and... She'll never be your brother. Okay, stop expecting her to be. My God. Anyway, what percentage of her portfolio is made up of female founders? Well, it's 53%. And now, a man who could hold his own at any family gathering and will teach you how to show up that stupid brother-in-law with his shiny Tesla he can't stop talking
0: about. It's Jason Pfeiffer. And Jason Pfeiffer joins me. How are you, man? I'm well. I'm exhausted. How are you? <laughs> uh, likewise. We're recording this <laughs> on a Friday afternoon, which is a great thing because I get to talk to you, but also, yep. what the hell are we doing working on a Friday afternoon? Entrepreneurs,
3: you know, we're not about Friday afternoon. We do this so we can work 90 other hours, Jason. Oh, I believe me. It's gonna. I'm working into tonight. and I'm working all weekend. <laughs> Friday afternoon <laughs> doesn't mean that much. I do have to ask you, just because of your role at
0: the magazine and the huge number of entrepreneurs that you talk to, mm-hmm. there's this this quote I've heard before that an entrepreneur is somebody that works 100 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours for somebody else. Have you found that being tr- to be true? Uh, yeah,
3: well... I haven't heard that. I like it. Um, the, the line I like is, uh, it, it was actually something that I originally heard applied to the media business, which is where I come from, but that applies equally to entrepreneurs, which is that if you could do something else, go do it mm-hmm. because it is, a, it's a hard path. It, it just, just is. It's a hard path, but you do it because it's the only satisfying path for you. That means that there's a value to the hardness because you know that you're, you've put yourself up against an immense challenge and that challenge is going to shape you. And it's also going to reward you.
0: You know, it's funny. I want to get into that a lot because in your section on adapting, there's so much here and there's been so much change. You, you remember the book from the nineties who moved my cheese, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like, as i I'm reading your book and you're talking in the introduction and in the open about COVID and all the things that have happened. Yeah. Jason, there's been, there's been a hell of a lot of cheese moving going on lately.
3: It's <laughs> certainly, you know, I will admit to you, uh, I haven't read Who Moved My Cheese, but as a title, it has always stuck with me. And I've always wondered what the cheese is in that metaphor. Uh, is it money? Is the cheese Who Moved My Money? Uh, I don't know. Who knows? doesn't matter. So um, yes, there's been a tremendous amount of change, obviously. And the great problem that we have is that we experience change as loss, which is to say that something changes and they immediately think of – The thing that they are going to lose, the thing that they are comfortable with, that they're familiar with, that they already have, that they're no longer going to have access to or that they're no longer going to work in the same way. And that feels like loss. And then because we want to know the future, we say, well, because I lost this, I'm going to lose that. Because I lost that, I'm going to lose this other thing. And that is how you start to feel panic. The first thing we need to do is train ourselves that there is gain in these shifts. Because once your life is disrupted, you are forced to identify new opportunities. You are forced to say, this thing that used to work for me does not anymore. And so I must now step outside of this like small window that I had built for myself through which I will see the world and see what else is out there. And that's when I have found that everybody, not just... Not just a entrepreneurs in a strict definitional sense, but anybody, anybody who thinks entrepreneurially, anybody who works for any company. That when we are forced to look outside of the small window that we have built, what we re- what we do is we reconsider the impossible. We realize that some of the greatest opportunities were the things that we had dismissed before, or we thought were too crazy, and that is when we start to recognize gain. And this panic becomes excitement. It should. It should. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look, the thing is, the panic is going to drive us to recognize things that we hadn't before and to dig deep inside of ourselves and identify things about us that are really growth-oriented. I think a lot of people... The problem is that they identify too closely with the output of their work. So we think of ourselves as, a, you know, I, I do this. I make this. I, I hold this kind of role and responsibility. That's fine. The problem, though, is that if you identify too closely with the thing that you do, then you are leaving yourself open to feeling incredibly disrupted as soon as that thing changes. So if you identify yourself as doing one kind of job and then the job changes, well, then you feel like this isn't just something you have to learn now. This is an affront to your very identity. And I, I think that the smartest entrepreneurs, they carry around this like sentence or something about themselves, some phrase, something that is so core to them that it orients them. It gives them something that does not change in times of change. Give you some examples. I think of myself not as a news, as a magazine editor, or as a book writer, but rather as I tell stories in my own voice. That sentence really matters to me. I, just, I, mean, I wouldn't say it to somebody at a dinner party because it sounds obnoxious, but like it, it matters to me because it helps me understand and appreciate what I do that isn't tied to any one particular output. So if I, lose a mag- if I lose my magazine job, that would suck, but it doesn't inhibit me from telling stories in my own voice. Uh, I, was, I was actually talking about this with Gary Vaynerchuk recently. He said his definition of himself is practical optimism. I love that because it yeah. gives you a million ways to pivot around it, right? You could do, you could be practical optimism is, you know, you launch one thing, if it works great, and if it doesn't, you move on to something else because the whole point of it is simply to express that practical optimism. The more we can define ourselves, the more resilient we become.
0: Well, I think it's so healthy, and, and not just for entrepreneurs, but I think, Jason, for all of us, this idea that entrepreneurs think a lot less about, what they make the, the their why? I mean, they think a lot more about the why than the what. Can you kind of walk yeah. us through? You you even have like a you've got like this uh, game I think you play with yourself to kind of get people in this spirit. If you can help us with that,
3: oh yeah, sure. Well, so right, so that I mean, this is what you're describing is is the process to get to that sentence that I just gave you. So yeah, uh, let me run you through it. What I like to do is run this scenario three times, and the scenario is that somebody comes up to you at a party and asks what you do. So somebody comes up to you at a party and asks what you do. What's the first thing you're going to say? I, I mean, Joe, what would what would be the first not, if you take removing what you already know about where I'm going with this, you know, yes. what what would be the what would be the kind of basic thing that you would say?
0: It's going to be the task I do during my day. I spend days talking to interesting people and doing interviews.
3: Right. Great. So, right. And that's that's the thing, is that the first step of this is that we always we end up talking about our tasks. So, uh, example I love to give is that I was a newspaper reporter. That's how I started my career. I would have said, I'm a newspaper reporter. So, I go out and I report uh, on what's going on and I write stories and I put them in the local newspaper. That's good. Now, let's do it again. Somebody comes up to you at a party and they ask what you do, but you can't talk about your tasks anymore. Anything that you said has to be gone. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Our skills. So, in my case, I would have said, "Well, my what I am good at doing is going out and gathering information, and then processing that information in a way that's useful to others." What would you say?
0: I'd say I create um, easier ways for people to think about money, so we lower the temperature about money.
3: Yeah, right. That's great. And already you can see how the things that you're thinking become more resilient because your first answer. Your first answer was dependent upon a certain mode of communication, but that mode of communication could change. And so if you're anchored to a certain means of production, then you know, you're know you basically reliant upon that thing staying the same for you to hold your identity. But now, of course, the way that you're thinking about it is differently. It's, it's, it's a lot more flexible. So let's do it one more time. Someone comes up to you to party and they ask what you do. Now, can't talk about your tasks and can't talk about your skills. Anything we've said before, gone. So now at this point, what's left? My argument to you is that what's left now is your core. It is the thing that drove you to develop the skills that enable you to do the tasks. That is the thing that is so deep down inside of you that you should be able to say it in a single sentence. It can start with I, and then it should be a few words, and none of those words are easily changeable. Now, like I said, Gary Vaynerchuk got it down to two words, practical optimism. Mine, I'm... I tell stories in my own voice. Seven words. Uh, this is not something, if you're listening to this right now, this is not something that should come to you within a minute. Like you should take right. some time with it. But, you know, Joe, you you got, you got had a little advance warning here because you read my thing. Do, have you thought about this? Do you have a sentence? It's funny because just getting off my own book tour, you know, I had to crystallize this and I want fewer people to cry about their money, period. Mm. Fewer people crying about money. I love that. I love that because it, You can do that in a million ways. There's an unlimited amount of ways to do that. So now imagine what happens when something that you're doing becomes disrupted. You do not instead hold on to the thing that may no longer work. Instead, you can step back and remind yourself of the core mission, whether it's I tell stories in my own voice, or I want people to cry less about money, or it's practical optimism. At this point, now what you have is you have a roadmap. You don't exactly know how you're going to articulate it yet, but you know that you have value and that that value is transferable, that that value wasn't reliant solely upon the thing that you were doing before. And that, it's just an amazing, liberating feeling to have that. And I have talked to so many entrepreneurs who've gone through major changes in their lives and careers, and they tell me that on the other end... Of that change, they realized that they had something from their previous life that they didn't realize was the thing that was going to set them up for success in the next one because they were, you know, they were defining themselves too narrowly. But that thing is always there.
0: It's so funny. We hang on to these things. I mean, and you, you think in stories, you tell stories very, very, very well. I know you just said that it's your mantra and it's what you do. You're clearly in the right field because I love the (laughs) stories throughout your book. But let's talk about this because I think this is really uh, apparent in the John Philip Sousa story that you tell early on in the book. Do, Do you mind telling us about John Philip Sousa? Because I think this is a case, Jason, of people hanging on to the wrong things about defining what they do way too narrowly.
3: Yeah, totally. Love it. All right. So the dawn of recorded music, late 1800s, the phonograph is invented by Thomas Edison. And this is really the first record player. And so now consider how revolutionary this was. For all of human history, all of human history, until this moment, the only way that you could listen to music is if a human being was playing an instrument in front of you. All of human history. And then suddenly that changed. Uh, that was wild to people. I mean, they didn't even believe it at first. They, they had to be shown that there wasn't like a band behind a wall somewhere. Right, right. You know? Some little <laughs> ferrets that you've trained to sing in the exactly. little box. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, like, understandably so. This is a wild idea. And then once they realized that this was real, people were really excited about it. They started bringing it into their homes, started listening to recorded music. But here's who was not excited about this, musicians. Not excited at all, because they saw themselves being replaced. They saw their jobs being threatened. And the leader of the resistance was, as you said, this guy named John Philip Sousa. Now, you may not know his name today, but you do know his music, because he wrote all the marches, military marches that we're still familiar with. Da, 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 da. That's John Philip Sousa. So John Philip Sousa, he wrote this piece. he was the leader of the resistance at the time. He wrote this amazing, amazing piece. I suggest you Google it right now because it's just so fun if you're listening to this, uh, which is, it's called The Menace of Mechanical Music. It came out in Appleton's magazine in 1906. And he makes all these sort of wild arguments against recorded music and and how detrimental it's going to be to humanity. And my favorite of his arguments went like this. He said that if recorded music enters the home, right, if a phonograph uh, enters the home, then uh, it will replace all forms of live music. Because again, why would anybody perform live when there's a machine that could do it for them? And because there is now no performance of live music in the home, mothers will no longer sing to their children. Because why would they do that when there's a machine that could do it for them? And because children grow up to imitate their mothers, the children will grow up to imitate the machines. And thus we will raise a generation of machine babies. And you know, this is ridiculous. No, of of course it makes perfect sense, Jason. I mean, the dominoes will fall that
0: way. Look, we're a bunch of machines now.
3: It's exactly right. You know, I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, but what's funny is that like we still basically make this argument today, right? Like you can find it in the Halls of Congress. Good point. And so what's so interesting about that is that it's a kind of perfect example of that thing that I said at the very beginning of our conversation, which is about extrapolating loss. That we see loss And we want to know what's coming next. And so based on our limited set of information, we start to say, because I lose this, I'm going to lose that. Because I lose that, I'm going to lose that other thing. That is how you get out really far on a statistical limb. And that is not how we make good decisions. So what would happen if we instead were to start to think about where gain comes from instead of loss? Well, I think that we would think kind of differently. So in the book, I I offer these three questions, which is, what are we doing differently because of this new thing? Second one is, what skill or habit are we learning as a result? And then number three is, how can that be put to good use? Simple, simple questions. But if you start to run any change that you are experiencing through them, it starts to look like this. Well, what are we doing differently because of this new thing? If you're John Philip Sousa, if you're in a time of the dawn of recorded music, then uh, people are listening to music at home or whenever they want. What new s- habit or skill are we learning as a result? Well, we're learning, consumers are learning that they can access music and not be bound by whoever happens to be in town performing for them. And they can listen whenever it is that they'd like. How can that be put to good use? Well, I mean, good Lord, if you're a musician, then you are no longer bound by geography. You actually can scale yourself in a way that was never possible before because now you don't only have access to the people that are in front of you physically or the places that you can travel to easily, but you can record something and have it distributed and reach everybody. When you look at it that way, you realize that John Philip Sousa was actually defending a system that limited his own economic opportunity. And eventually... He realized this and he started recording himself and he started going on radio, which was another thing he had refused to do. And he made a lot of money. But now just think about all the time that he wasted and all the money that he never earned because he spent so much of his energy focused on trying to protect the old rather than chase the new. I absolutely love
0: that because the fact that it's all between our ears I think is such a powerful idea that escapes most of us, right? We're so busy panicking. Yep. We're so busy holding on to the past. You right. begin with a story. We won't tell it here today that of course you'd start with butter. I mean, what <laughs> what self-respecting entrepreneurial writer would not write about butter? Right. I'll let that one go, but everybody hangs on to this stuff. And man, if we just change our outlook, I mean, John Philip Sousa could have realized that now when he goes into any city... So many people have been exposed to his music. Now he's going to pack the place every every place he goes, and people are going to absolutely love him. Just amazing,
3: yeah. And so now, just expand that outward. And this is the thing that I was so I was so fascinated by is that I think the most successful people that I have met doesn't matter if they've started businesses or you know whatever it is that they do in their lives, they have figured out these systems to just be able to recognize that there is big opportunity in these moments and not get trapped. In the thing that holds them back. I mean, I love that you mentioned butter. I, uh, you know, we will, we'll save that story for the book, but, uh, (laughs) but uh, just to tease it, the end result is that for some period of time, some states were forcing margarine producers to dye their margarine pink. And so people had to eat this pink margarine because the butter industry could not figure out another way to protect itself. It was so completely stupid. But the world is full of, of really stupid defenses of old things. And here's a question that I think everyone should ask themselves all the time which is not, I'll tell you the question first that they should not ask. Question that they should not ask is, is this perfect? All right, some changes come along, you're grappling with something new. The question you do not wanna ask yourself is, is this perfect? Because the answer is no, it's not, nothing's perfect. So if your filter is, is this perfect? Then the answer is gonna be no, and therefore you're gonna say, oh, this thing is terrible, this thing is damaging, it doesn't compare to what came before. So here's the better question to ask. Is my new problem better than my old problem? That question leaves open the possibility of problems. It means that not everything new is going to be perfect. It means that problems are okay. The problems are the thing that we're supposed to solve. So the question is not, is it perfect? The question is, is this new problem better than the old problem? I think that once you start asking that, you can get a much more clear-eyed understanding of the thing that is in front of you. Because a lot of the things that we will experience, we will face new challenges. And those new challenges, will they will harden and train us in new ways. But if we are focused on making sure that we are just simply making progress, that we're growing something, well, then that's what matters most. The number of times I've seen people
0: frozen because it's not perfect just drives me crazy as a guy that's created for a long, long time. Jason, and, and it and it drives me crazy with money management. People, oh, I don't understand how Roth IRA, go mess it up. I mean, this yeah. idea that progress is really what we want. And now that I don't know how to open up a Roth IRA that I tried, now I have a bunch of new data that helps me actually figure it out the next time. And by the way, once I figure it out, then I go brag to all my friends that, hey, guess what? I screwed up, you know, and we, we kind of <laughs> laugh about it over beers or whatever it might be. I want to do one more thing from later in the book that I also found is so many impactful things i could sit here with you for four hours but i love this thing that you've told yourself for a long time your entire career which is work your next job can you talk about this because i think this idea of work your next job is a great place for us to be mindset wise today
3: tomorrow whenever yeah so here's what work your next job means in front of you joe in front of me in front of everyone listening right now we we have two sets of opportunities I like to think of them as opportunity set A, opportunity set B. Opportunity set A is everything that's asked of us. So you go to work and you got a boss and that boss expects things of you and you deliver. That's opportunity set A. Do a good job. Opportunity set B is everything that is available to you that nobody is asking you to do. And that could be at work, join a new team, take on some new responsibilities, but it could also be outside of work. Where you take a class, where you are interested in developing a new skill, where you listen to podcasts and you like them and you say, maybe I should start a podcast, whatever the case. My argument is that opportunity set B is always more important, infinitely more important. Because if you only focus on opportunity set A, which is important, you got to do the stuff that's asked of you. But if you only focus on it, you will only be qualified to do the things you're already doing. But opportunity set B is where growth happens. is where you actually develop the skills that you will need for the next opportunity, even if it's something that you cannot anticipate. Because I'm telling you that when you build what you know now, you will be more qualified for more things later. It's just as simple as that. And I don't think people push themselves hard enough to develop those things. You don't even need to know what it is. You don't need to know where it's going. You don't need to know what's coming next. Just start building because those new skill sets will come in handy in ways you could not imagine.
0: I love this idea because it goes to the fact that I think most of us wait for somebody else to to design the curriculum of our life right? I I take on a job away from my manager to train me. Like, I don't, why, why wouldn't I, if I'm taking a job as a waiter or whatever it might be, why wouldn't I go to YouTube university or talk to other people that are great waiters, find out how to be the best waiter I could possibly be. This idea of
3: designing a curriculum of your life, it just seems so damn fun, Jason. It just seems fun. Yeah, it sure is. It's so liberating. And, and who wants to sit around just waiting for somebody else to tell them the thing to do? I, I, that, you know, you're you're totally right. We end up we end up thinking this is something I learned very early in my career. I started, as I said, as a community newspaper reporter, and I realized a year and a half in that um, you know I, I had these big ambitions. I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody. I was working a a, a job in Gardner, Massachusetts, for twenty thousand dollars a year, and. And I was like, I want to work for the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, something, you know, some big publication. Entrepreneur Magazine. Entrepreneur. Well, you know, I mean, that's the funny thing is I'd never even heard of Entrepreneur Magazine back then, right? Like you just, you cannot know exactly what the great opportunities are going to be. So I had this revelation, uh, which changed the course of my career. And that revelation was, nobody is coming to me. Like nobody's coming to me. I, I can work at this little newspaper as long as I want. But no editor at the New York Times is going to pick up the Gardner News of Gardner, Massachusetts <laughs> and read my story about the like local diner and call me up and say, kid, you're going to cover the White House. Or like, That's not going to happen. I have to go to them. right? You just can't sit around thinking that you'll just get recognized. It's not how it works. And so you got to go to them. That's so, so great. And you end the book, by the
0: way. I'm going to do a little spoiler where we get in a spot where we don't want to go back. We realize
3: all this stuff we were hanging on to, we don't want to go back because I'm living in the future and it's way, way, way better. And that's the promise of it all is that that wouldn't go back moment uh, where you get to something so new and valuable that you say, I wouldn't want to go back to a time before I had it. it. It is the end result of change and it's there. It'll always be there. The question is, do you have the faith that it's there? And therefore, can you move more confidently towards it? The book is Build for Tomorrow,
0: an action plan for embracing change, adapting fast, and future-proofing your career. Available, I assume, Jason, everywhere. finer your books are sold.
3: Yes, wherever books are sold, in, uh, in every format. So, uh, hardcover, audiobook. Uh, if you're a podcast listener, maybe you love audiobooks, uh, you know, go find it on Audible or wherever. Anyway, yes, Build for Tomorrow. And
0: by the way, the stories in this book, guys, the stories just nail home all of these great ideas that we talked about. And there's there's just so many more. I would be reticent if I hung up with you, Jason, and I didn't ask you about the podcast, because I've been binging your podcast
3: lately, the Build
0: for Tomorrow podcast, also fun.
3: Oh, man, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. so, So I have a podcast called Build for Tomorrow, same as the book, make it nice and easy to remember. It tries to tackle these ideas about our own experiences of change, like things that are changing in our world that we probably don't understand as well as we should and try to like really examine them and show how we get them wrong. So the the most recent episode, as we speak right now at least, is about why the phrase nobody wants to work anymore is BS. <laughs> and I, I prove that by going back through 100 years worth of people saying <laughs> nobody wants to work anymore, and then talking to this work historian about why over time we kept saying that, and it was so interesting to learn that basically every time that, th- that work changes in some way, either because of a new technology or because of a shift in industry or something, or in this case, right, of course, the pandemic and everything that, that has altered, work starts to look a little different, and so traditionalists just simply don't recognize new work as work, but also that workers say, you know what, this is an opportunity to renegotiate the deal and get a better deal. And that doesn't mean that they don't want to work or that they're not hard workers, but that, you know, frankly, a lot of people were doing work that was unsatisfying for a very unsatisfying amount of money, and they see an opportunity to do something better and do better themselves. And like, we are foolish foolish if we look at that and say oh these people don't want to work don't want to because work. you are yeah. missing you're missing the point they do want to work but they they want better work and better work and hard work are not they're not different things so um so i anyway i make this point in a very passionate way uh by by breaking down like literally how work has functioned for 100 years and um i love it because i do these crazy deep dives on things and try to contextualize them and uh, you know then people respond and they say i you know i just i didn't know I didn't know that this thing that I'm reacting to is old and that there's a totally different way of looking at it. And that's that's what I'm trying to help people see. I love this in the eighteen hundreds, people going, why don't people want
0: to work anymore? 1920s, 1950s, 1970s, yeah. today. Why don't people want to work? And you know what's funny? I found myself as I was listening to the latest episode thinking, you know, as an entrepreneur, again, you present this in, in the book so coherently that that's the opportunity right for the right employer yeah. if i'm going to be a great employer jason i want to make the people that want to work for me and how do i create this organization and this culture that people want to come to me cuz clearly they want to work to your point but they want work that's
3: satisfying and how do we create that for people that's the number one you know mckinsey did a study this year asking people why they quit their previous job And the number one, I mean, it's funny here we are, we're on a show about money, but guess what? The number one answer wasn't money. Can you believe that? That was the number two answer. The number one answer was lack of career development and advancement opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people want to know what they're working towards and what they're working for. And this isn't a question of like workers' rights or whatever, right? This is good business. Good business is making sure that your employees are like locked in on the mission and that they understand their value and that they see how their work is going to benefit not just the organization, but them too. And if you give them that, then you will retain talent. And that is better for you as a company too. Thank you so much for taking some of your valuable time and
0: helping stackers, not just negotiate change, but embrace it, man. I really appreciate it.
3: Hey, thank you. It's a lot of fun.
0: Hey, this is Pete, the planner USA today,
2: money columnist and host of the ask Pete, the planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the
0: weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins. Oh, gee, I can't remember a time when Jason wasn't correct when things changed and I got to the end of the change and I said, I want to go back to the way it was. You never want to go back to the way it was. Things change and you're like, Yeah, this is way better. Why was I worried about it? Like, why why did I not just embrace the fact that things are gonna be different? and embrace the fact that it's going to be better. I feel like for you and I, this is the great thing of coaching, right? Instead of navigating change, I feel like I'm in charge of the change. And man, that also gives you some peace of mind as well. I don't know. How do you get through all the change happening in your life?
2: Well, I I think some of it is just uh, demeanor. Like I just don't
0: don't care. I have
2: a lot of emotion (laughs) tied to that, you know? Uh, it doesn't bother me.
1: (laughs) The only man born with a frontal lobotomy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I think being conflict proficient and, and being okay with, you know, just being okay with it is the most important thing. I mean, like he said, you never generally want to go back the way that it was. It's the process that, that gets you to where you're going. That may be not so enjoyable. There's a great book by George Leonard called Mastery, and the whole idea about this is that your life is just a series of plateaus with really short periods of big change. And if you really focus on the big change parts, you're kind of missing it. The, the, the fun happens in the plateaus, and the big change happens, it just happens. So if you don't have the purpose for what you're doing... Then it's hard to stay motivated.
0: So, good you know, if
2: you're focused on like, well, if I save this money, I can't spend it and have fun now. Then you're not thinking about the impact of the savings or investing to begin with, right? It's like that's the better outcome. The better outcome is making sure your kid goes to school without any student loans or that you can retire, not going out to dinner this weekend.
0: Number of people that say they can't budget. And it's because they're budgeting in a vacuum. There's no why behind it. Like, I think if you embrace that, it's such good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first.
1: You know what? Actually, uh, Culver's Fries. Culver's Fries? And that's a controversial, I mean, that is a hot take. Because there's a lot of people who hate those things because, and I've heard a few people say this, they're crinkle fries, and it reminds them of the bad fries they used to get in grade school, like hot lunches you'd get at grade school. And but Lunch Lady I think Land. that is a fine French fry. I mean, they do it right. I that That's my favorite fry in the fast food universe right now. So that's what I'm valuing.
0: Culver's ice cream, pretty damn good too. Isn't it custard? It's
1: not. It's custard, Joe. Oh, yeah,
0: a there it is. There's more
1: cream content in it.
0: It's your loved ones in your time. And I bet if you uh, just fill up on custard all the time, you'll get even better rates on your <laughs> <even laughs> life. I haven't had, I haven't
2: had sure a, whatever they call a mixer or whatever they call them. Concrete mixer. Yeah. I, haven't had concrete. One in a while. I might, uh, might, might go get one. Do you have Culver's them. where you live? Yes. It's America. So we have everything that you have. <laughs>
0: Do you know what we have here in this portion of the United States? We've got a little uh, a little brand called Andy's ice cream. OG, have you been in, to an Andes? Yep. Do they have those in Dallas? Within walking distance, yes, sir. Really? Apparently,
1: I don't live in America because I've never heard of Andes, And yet, uh, with OG's logic, all things are everywhere in America.
0: Well, one of the biggest cities in America. Oh, So we, have, we have it. I'm in one of the most medium-smallish yeah. cities in America. Maybe you didn't know Bam. how
2: big this city is. This is amazing. <laughs>
0: I'm kind of a big deal. Hey, guys, that's why they made buying Quality turf Life Insurance actually simple.
1: It's <laughs> <And to laughs> actually impressive. I just got to stop right here. Joe, I am really impressed with your ability to keep the thread. Because half the time, we go off on these things, and I'm like, what the hell are we talking about? Okay, and that's a wrap. We're and just like, no, no, no. Weeks Get back to
0: Haven. I like it when that check comes in from them. I'm a big I'm a big fan. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Well, and the reason we partnered with them for so long is because the application's simple. It's online. I remember, and OG remembers these days of just helping clients with these long-ass forms, all gone, gotten rid of all those. You get an instant covers decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, we talked about knowing what you get. With Haven Life, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old insurer. Get your life insurance done, people. Man, we're talking about this horrific natural disaster. I think it's a good reminder that you never know when the worst is going to strike. Hey, today we're going to throw out the lifeline to Anonymous, and and Doug, Doug, you talked about Anonymous. It's it is kind of telling. Anonymous is um is largely linked to tech stuff, right? And so Anonymous here about to talk about tech. Is it anonymous? Let's hear.
4: Hey, Joe and Ochi. I am one of those people who's fortunate to work for a great tech company with the stock down 70% in the past year. 35% of my annual comp comes in the form of restricted stock.
0: Okay, that is not anonymously enough. Uh, for, <laughs> I mean, we need the voice. We need the voice filter. I work for a great tech company whose name will remain. At- Steve, can you put the anonymous filter on anonymous? So he sounds much more like the real anonymous.
4: All of which vests in a year. It's given 25% each quarter. This year I sold this stock as soon as it vested in order to diversify it out. But I'm thinking for the next two quarters and next year that I would just hold the stock. I don't need the stock per se to reach my goals on my timeline, but cashing it in and de-risking it would certainly help me reach those goals sooner and with more conviction. I max out my 401k into a Roth each year and also have a good chunk of after-tax Roth 401k conversions, plus some other savings into our ESPP for the discount and play accounts. I think where I am in my life, 38 with no kids, I would regret cashing in the future RSUs and seeing the stock go full Tesla more than if I keep it and it chases pennies. Although if that happens, I may also be looking for a job. Would it be completely dumb to keep? At this point, it would be well over 10% of my net worth. I have a window each quarter where I can always sell, but I want to make a plan in advance so I don't get caught up in the volatility. Can you help?
0: Big thanks to Anonymous and Steve, thank you for adding the filter there so he sounds much more authentic. Uh, by the way nice nice he's he'd he'd feel worse if he got out and it went full Tesla than if he stayed in it when jC Penny. that is a nice nice Great nice line. phrase good good work and because no he actually but, made it a verb he called it if it jC Pennies. if he jC Pennies and for that we're gonna give him we haven't done this in a long time guys we're gonna give him the Nerd! good job O G. what do you think? Does he start playing the game?
2: Uh, so here's how we think about uh, restricted shares. Restricted shares, and he said it right at the very beginning, is part, are part of your annual compensation. Your company has chosen and you've elected to work for them and take this comp. You've elected to take this as stock instead of cash. My question always is, on the day that they vest or the day that they're given to you and you have access to them, if you were handed a bucket of cash, would you buy the company's stock instead? And sometimes the answer to that is yes, right? You know, you say, well, I, I believe in the work that we're doing, and, and I think that there's opportunity and uh, upside commensurate with the risk of owning a single, single position and being tied to my employment. It's impossible to predict that in advance, which is why we always recommend diversifying just because it's the most common outcome. You could be right if you keep your restricted shares. You could be way right. And we've seen that a 100 times. The other side of that coin, by the way, is that if you end up being way right, if you Tesla it, as you said, then you show up in our office and go, how do I get out of this without paying any taxes? (laughs) You know, it's like, there's always a gimme and a gotcha to everything. It's like, well, I had a 100,000, now I got a million. Now I know I need to diversify it, but I got to pay Uncle Sam 200 grand to get out. I don't want to do that either. So maybe I'll just keep it. And then my million turns into 600,000 you go, "Dang it, I should have just paid my 200,000 in taxes. I'd be 200 grand ahead at this point." But now I really don't want to do it cuz I have 600,000 and it would cost me 120 grand to get out with taxes. I mean, so, so there's always there's always something on the other end of it. When do you figure out whether or not your strategy paid off on the back end? You never know it in advance. So I think that is perfectly fine to be a little bit tactical with stuff that you know about in small quantities. You know, you're on track for your financial goals, you've got a bunch of savings, you make good income, all that sort of stuff. Will your life end if this year's RSUs go to zero and you hold them the whole time? Probably not. Will it be amazingly awesome if you took this year's RSUs and you left them and they Tesla'd yeah, they probably, it'd be, it'd go pretty good, but it's not gonna like, it's not probably a hundred million dollars. You know what I mean? Like it might turn into a couple hundred thousand or something, depending on your comp. So it's not life altering, probably one way or the other. If the stock is down a whole bunch and you feel like it's oversold, I totally think that it's fine to hang on to some for a period of time. But just like you have a strategy going in, I think you have to have a strategy going out. So if you're right, How do you judge your rightness and when do you want to sell it? If you're wrong, when do you want to judge that you're incorrect in your assessment and sell it on that side of it? And I think finally, if you're going to keep some stock, company stock, 10% is fine, 15% is fine, 20% you're getting a little high. We recommend generally no more than five in any single position, but sometimes you can't control that when you get restricted shares and, and equity options. So if you're diversified outside of it, and you end up with 10-15% so be it. I don't know if that answers the question or not, but that's just how how I would think about that.
0: No, I think it completely does. You know, obviously the fear is OG that he's he's clearly playing the tech is down right now game. And when you begin playing this, you come dangerously close to trying to predict where the market goes. And I'm with you. You want to plan ahead of time about how we're going to get off this and back to much more firm footing of you know, planning it's based on your goals uh, versus based on where do I think the market's headed or where the stocks headed.
2: Yeah, and I'll give you this info too, Joe. Uh, maybe Doug, you guys can uh, maybe y'all can answer this. You know, we remember back in two thousand, right? The stock market went up a whole bunch and then went down a whole bunch, and the hot topic at that time was tech. And the NASDAQ hit a high of roughly 5,000, right? It was like 4,700 and some change, 4,600 and some change, closing value, in uh, February, March of 2000. And then it went down. And then we had 9-11, so on and so forth. So here's the quiz question, Doug. Doug, not so easy on the other side of the fence, is it? The shoes on the other foot, as it were. How long did it take the NASDAQ to get back to 5,000? So it it was in March of 2000, March, February of 2000, and went down. We all recognize that. And then it came back up. How long did you hold? Like if you're and this is to your point, Joe, of, hey, tech's down, you know, it's going to rally. It's going to come back. Yeah. okay, cool. Let's see how that what that history has done before. When did it happen before and how long did it take? So you're making this assessment in January, February, March of 2000. And you say it's down a little bit. I'll hold it. How long do you got to hold it for? Till it
1: goes back. Yeah, it's a total it's funny, I was there and I don't remember because it uh back to Joe's point about change, and maybe your point about change, it all works out. But I I'll take a guess and say that it took um I think it was about like twenty three months.
2: Okay. Twenty three months. Joe? If I remember right, it was twelve years. Yeah. Almost fifteen years. Oh wow. So uh, NASDAQ, which is heavily tech, right? This isn't the S&P, but we were talking about tech. So NASDAQ. Oh, no,
1: I wasn't thinking about just the NASDAQ. Yeah, I know you were. <laughs> I know. I got to be an out. So My
2: 4,700 mistake. bottoms out bottoms out uh, two years later at 1,000. So it lost 80% of its value and then uh, doubled and then halved again. And then it took until 2014, early 2015 before it got back. So when you say well I'll just hold it like I feel I have intestinal fortitude it's like do you <laughs> to 20 to 2037 you're like Nasdaq for the win <laughs> while everything else is going on around you all the apartment buildings go up and down all real the real
0: estate large cap
2: yeah, all the small cap all the international meanwhile you're like I got this 15 years I'll be fine 2037 it's a long time It's a long time for one single idea to hold
0: Thanks for the question, Anonymous. Thanks for being on our team, by the way. We always want to be friends with Anonymous. If we can send cookies or something your way. Well, you know what we'll do? Is that if you tell us a little bit about who you are, we can send you a Haven Life shirt. So while we don't know who yes, you are. Yes, that means we don't know where to send his shirt. So what does that mean, Joe? That means that we're plus uh, we're plus one. The next person gets two. Yes, absolutely. com slash voicemail if you'd like OG and I to answer your question. Hey, uh, coming up, we've got so much stuff over at the 201, our newsletter, you'll get deeper dives. This would be a 16 hour podcast. If we went into depth on all the different things that we touched on today, but we do have curated links that will take you much deeper. It's called the 201 stacking slash 201 right now. We're also doing a giveaway over there with uh, Magneto skateboards, this fantastic skateboard company in Carlsbad, California. And uh, you can see our videos on social over on YouTube about the giveaway, or you just go to the 201, sign yourself up. That gets you an entry into the giveaway. And for everybody you refer, you get three more entries. So maybe we'll take care of your holiday gift giving for you with some kick-ass, amazing skateboards. Uh, I got to ride on one and I did not break my neck. (laughs) As I tried them out and i thought this is probably better uh for somebody else and not not me you don't think you're their target market (laughs) i believe it or not isn't that so so strange i thought when they sent them i'm like oh yeah of course duh me they realize i'm cool yeah finally somebody my now that i've reached 54 years old somebody finally thinks so Hey, uh, if you're concerned about the markets, though, and the chatter around recession, OG and his team put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. The guide will help you plan more and panic less, no matter what the market does. So head over to stackybenjamins.com/guide and get the helpful free guide from OG. Thanks for that, OG. That's it for today. Uh, well, almost this afternoon, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. 2 p.m. Pacific. See, I did almost all the math. Mountain Time, do your own. We are going on Instagram Live again, where Doug and I almost hooked up last week. If it weren't for a comedy of errors, I felt so bad, dude. I'm like, you show up, Andy Hill shows up. I felt like we had Benny Hill music in the background while that whole thing was, was yeah, going on. Yeah, it was partly that. Like I was, I didn't exactly know how to do it because I
1: haven't been on with you in a long time. I think it was like last winter when I was on with you last. So it's not normal to me to like, Oh, I click here and a tap here and then I'll be on with you. So I went onto our Instagram page and I was sort of waiting for your invite. And I think you had probably had some tech issues or infrastructure yeah. issues, if I'm not mistaken.
0: And then, which happens every 47 minutes here, I feel like. Right,
1: right, right. And so then I'm like, all right, well, this isn't happening. And you said Andy was coming on at, at quarter after and it was at that point, it was like six or seven after something. So I went to check in on the hurricane and see what's happening with my family members in the hurricane. I step away from the phone for a few minutes and then I get the, the text from you, dude, where are you? We're waiting. We're stalling. I'm like. <laughs> What? It's been three minutes. So then I, I come back in the room trying to wait for you. And you're like, I don't know where I'm watching you on my phone, totally trashing me. Doug's gone. We can't find Doug anywhere. I wish Doug was here. This would all be way cooler if Doug were here. He's my favorite. You didn't have, you didn't say half of those things, but and they're like, Oh, well, here's Andy. And I'm typing, I'm
0: here. I'm here. As I see Andy like jump, as I'm pressing the button for Andy, I see like I'm here now. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, hopefully you and I get on on a, maybe a special occasion uh, this week. Maybe we maybe it already happened and we've already kissed and made up and it's been fantastic.
1: I'll come on as soon as I get a t shirt that I can wear.
0: <laughs> and we're out, Doug. What should we have? What should we
1: have learned today, Doug? <laughs> so what should we have learned today, Joe? First, take advice from Jason Pfeiffer. Want to negotiate change more effectively? Focus on the gain rather than what you lost. And realize that there are very few times after a change that you ever want things to go back to the way they'd previously been. Second, looking for cheaper insurances? Remember, you get what you pay for, but you should shop around. (laughs) The big lesson. Marky, Marky, Marky. God, if I have to hear about Mark Zuckerberg and his billions of dollars one more time, I'm going to scream. I'm going to fake my own death. I'm going to shave my head. I'm deleting my Facebook account. Thanks to Jason Pfeiffer for joining us today. You can find his books and podcast at jasonpfeiffer.com. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Wanna chat with friends about the show later?
4: We started Dahmer.
1: Oh,
0: <clears throat> too much, too much, man! I can watch frenetic stuff in a <laughs> in a kitchen and absolutely love it. I can't watch uh, serial killer yeah, heaven. Serial killers and, heaven, and, and, uh, and,
1: and while we were watching it, we watched the first two episodes. I'm like, you know, I'm usually pretty good with pretty intense content. This was too much because while we were watching it, I was reading like the Wikipedia article. And I was thinking to myself, I really hope they don't get accurate, because oh. the shit that guy did is unspeakable.
0: Yeah, I've got I've got no desire to watch that. I actually just finished the latest season of Trying, which is just you have to watch it with the. I've said this before, but you got to watch it with the subtitles on, because these people speak a brand of English that we don't do in the U.S. But it is so funny and just endearing. And it's this couple trying to adopt, adopt oh, kids. It's on thing. Apple TV. Oh, it's fun. Did you watch the latest, uh, uh, the one that just, just came out? We finished the whole thing. Like, it took us three days
1: over a weekend because we had a rainy weekend, like, uh, maybe six weeks ago. So oh. is it more recent than
0: that? Well, maybe. They they have the kids, and they're trying to keep them, to get the let them adopt them. And their house goes up for sale. Yeah. And one of the
1: episodes, don't they go like to a, like a camping weekend?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that's early. Yeah. Later on, Grandma shows up. I think so. It sounds familiar. I don't want to spoil it, but man, I freaking it's, love that it's show. It's that
1: same kind of sweet humor like uh, Ted, uh, Ted Lasso.
0: It is. It's so damn good. Yeah, I like it's it. We like so it a lot. Damn good. Yeah, trying is, is excellent. And uh, I'm trying to get into the new season of Never Have I Ever just because I think John McEnroe narrating <laughs> this this young Indian woman's life is the funniest device ever Mindy Kaling just it's so hilarious have you watched never have I ever have
1: to put that on the list because I love John McEnroe I don't think I've heard of that but I love John McEnroe
0: oh my god from the beginning that's been that's been fun oh what are you watching uh football <laughs> like, a, like a normal red blooded like like uh you got front row seats for football,
2: oh, that too, but um, if I got a minute and it's on, it's on,
1: yeah, but like last night, I'm searching for stuff to watch, but I mean, there's just there's this desert on Tuesdays and Wednesdays of sports. there's nothing right now, there's a little bit of baseball if i can if I feel like watching teams that I don't care that much about, but otherwise. Uh, football. Are you watching rerun games? Like last night, Texas, Texas tech was on. You watching I was Mac- there. I know you were. I thought maybe you were reliving the glory.
2: No, no, I didn't see that, but I would watch a, I would, I would re- actually yesterday I was watching the hurricane stuff
0: and playing Xbox. And there it is what we're watching. Oh gee. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.